There's a phrase that I've heard from several different pastors over the years that, that goes something like this. If you find the perfect church, don't join it. Otherwise, you'll ruin it because then it won't be a perfect church. <laughs> um, the, the idea behind this, this quote is the truth that none of us are perfect. Right? We are all sinners. We're all imperfect people. And so really, there is no perfect church, right? Because every church is made up of imperfect people. Um, if you found one, again, if you joined it, we'd make it imperfect because we are broken people. Um, and this is absolutely true. Every church, every Christian is a work in progress. But um, at the same time, when you look at the New Testament and different letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to different churches that were established in the first century, right after Jesus' ministry, when you look at these different churches that Paul wrote to, it's very clear that some churches were healthier than others. Um, there, is, there were differences among the different churches that Paul ministered to. Some of Paul's letters, when you, write, when you read them, they are confrontational. They are very critical. He's calling out what's happening in some of these churches. Um, other of his letters are primarily encouraging and filled with thanksgiving. And uh, he's just praising God for what's happening in these churches. And so today, um, and throughout this summer, we're going to be uh, doing a, a sermon series from one of Paul's letters, uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, this letter is the letter that Paul wrote to the church in the, in the city of Thessalonica. Um, earlier in, the, in the, the service, we heard uh, from Acts 17, the account of how that church started when Paul first went to the city of Thessalonica. And... and the letter to the Thessalonians is one of those latter kind of letters, the ones that are primarily encouraging. Um, actually, the, the majority of the, the book of First Thessalonians is filled with Paul giving thanks to God for what he's seeing in this church, in the lives of these believers. And, and so actually, what we'll see in the passage that we're going to read today, the beginning of this letter, he actually describes this particular church as a model for other believers, that they are to function as a model for all the believers in the surrounding area. Uh, so my sermon title this morning is A Model Church. We're going to look at how Paul describes this church in Thessalonica and how they provide a model for us, model for the church. Um, again, they are not a perfect church, and later on in the letter we'll see Paul bringing out different elements that he's addressing with this church too. But it was a healthy church. There was something happening. God had in, it done something in, the midst of the, in, in their midst. And I believe that we, as a church, um, can learn something from the, Thessalon the, the, the Thessalonian church. Um, so we're going to be looking throughout the summer at this letter of 1 Thessalonians. And today we're going to begin um, by reading those first, the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. And we'll have those verses on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bibles. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by, the hope, by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you 
not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word uh, to us today. And as we look into the beginning of this letter uh, that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write to that church in Thessalonica, uh, we thank you this is your living word. And we pray that you would speak through this letter uh, to us, to our church here, 59th Street Church, here in Brooklyn in 2018, um, and that you would give us a picture, Lord, of how you're calling us to be your people, your church as well. Um, and so open our ears now to hear your word and receive it. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at uh, three different characteristics of this church in Thessalonica that we see in our text today, which show us why um, Paul called them a model church, that, that they are to be a model. They were a model to those around them. Uh, the first characteristic is that they received the gospel with joy. They received the gospel with joy. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the service, uh, Amy read the, the account in Acts 17 of how Paul, Silas, and Timothy originally brought the gospel. Um, the gospel really is just the good news, the good news of Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. Um, and they brought that message to this, the city of Thessalonica. We, we heard in Acts 17 that Paul first went to the Jewish synagogue in that city, which is his, um, kind of his pattern, that as he'd go into a new city, he'd go to the Jewish synagogue, he would preach the gospel there. It tells us in the text that, that he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. He was the anointed one that the, the Jewish people had been waiting for, that Israel had been waiting for. Um, and so the result of this preaching is recorded in Acts 17, verse 4, which says, Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Um, so Paul's proclamation of this message, it, it bore some fruit there in the city of Thessalonica. There were a good number of people who heard the gospel and who were persuaded. Uh, they believed it. And so these first believers, they became the church in Thessalonica. That was it, right? The church of Thessalonica was, was these first converts that Paul preached to. But soon after, as we heard in the, in the text in Acts 17, uh, some of the Jews in, in the city didn't like what they were seeing. They didn't like these people turning to Jesus. And so they began persecuting the new Christian believers. Uh, we, we, we read that they dragged some of them before the city officials and they, they, the claim that they made was that, that these people are defying Caesar's decrees because they claim Jesus was their king. Uh, they were making a radical claim in that culture that Jesus was king rather than Caesar. And so they, they brought them before the, the, you know, the, the pagan um, city officials saying that they're, 
These, these people are dangerous. They're revolutionaries. They're saying that someone else is king. And because of this persecution, um, we didn't read this part, but in the very next uh, verse, in verse 10, it talks about how the believers in Thessalonica, they sent Paul, Silas, and Timothy on their way to the next city, to the city of Berea. Now, this was kind of a, you know, Paul's mission was cut short here a little bit from probably what he had expected or maybe hoped uh, to minister to this, this new, uh, brand new church. And so Paul was concerned about this new congregation in, in Thessalonica. Um, and so a little while later, we find this out actually later in this letter in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, where Paul actually references and he says that he sent Timothy back to them. He sent Timothy back to Thessalonica a little bit later on to check on them, to see how they were doing in the midst of this persecution. And Timothy then brought a report back to Paul about how things were going for this new church. And that is what prompted Paul to write this letter. So basically, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians is sort of saying, here's what Timothy told me about you guys, and I want to respond to you directly um, to to give some feedback to what, what I heard. And so Paul begins his letter by telling the Thessalonians that he always thanks God for them, and he continually prays for them. This is something that Paul is always talking about in all of his letters. He's thankful for what God's doing. He's praying for these churches. And in verse 6 and and 7, he says this about the Thessalonians. He says, you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul points out that when they received this message that he and and Silas and Timothy preached to them, that they received it with joy. And they received it with joy even in the midst of severe suffering, in the midst of persecution. In fact, this way of, of receiving the gospel with joy independent of the circumstances around them, he says, this is what makes you guys a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Um, And so this is the first aspect that Paul brings out as as saying, you are a model church because you receive the gospel with joy in the midst of all these other things were happening to you. Why did the Thessalonians receive the gospel with such joy? Why would they be joyful about a message that immediately caused them to be persecuted. Right? This is a brand new message for them. And they receive it, and all of a sudden, they're persecuted. They're thrown into jail. Why would they experience joy in the midst of that? Well, in verse 5, Paul says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. When the Thessalonian believers, when they heard Paul proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, it wasn't just words to them. He says it wasn't just words. It wasn't just information about something that happened in history. It wasn't just, this is a nice story about what Jesus did for you. But no, he says this message came with power. It changed them. Um, it, it came with the power of the Holy Spirit. It caused deep conviction in them. Uh, the gospel, it spoke to their hearts. And so they received this good news of Jesus, not as just words, as information, but they received it as good news for them, that this was a message for them in their lives. And it was such good news that it caused them great joy, which couldn't even be dampened by persecution or suffering. Let me ask you a question 
have you received the gospel with that kind of joy? If Timothy came to visit our congregation, would he report back to Paul that 59th Street Church is a community of believers who have received the good news of Jesus with joy, regardless of our circumstances? That, that no matter what was, what, what was going on in your life, no matter what trials you were facing, that you had this deep and abiding joy in the gospel that overshadowed anything else. Would that be true of us? Has the message of Jesus come to you with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction, or is it just words to you? For some of you, maybe you can remember a time in your life when you received the gospel with this kind of joy, when the message, it spoke deeply to your heart with power and conviction, but maybe that feels like a long time ago now. Like you're not sure that you have that same joy anymore. And maybe for, for others of you, maybe you have never received the gospel like this. Maybe the message of Jesus is really just words to you. You know, it's, it's a message, it's something that you've heard, maybe you understand it, but it hasn't actually touched your heart. I have a friend who grew up in the church as a kid and as a teenager, and he heard the message of Jesus week after week as he went to church and youth group, but he will tell you that he didn't actually receive the gospel where he was born again from spiritual death to spiritual life until sometime in his 20s. Um, at that time, he was part of a Bible study, and, and there was this moment as he was studying the scriptures where all of a sudden he just realized how deeply sinful he really was. He just recognized how he was lost. He, was, he just recognized, he saw it face to face, like, I am, I, God, how can you ever love me? I, I just, he had this deep sense of conviction. And, and he desperately knew he needed a savior to save him from this. And so he, in a very genuine way, called out to God for mercy. God, have mercy on me. And then he experienced the joy of receiving God's forgiveness. As he heard this message, that wasn't just this message about these people out there, but it was for him, that he was forgiven, that Jesus had wiped away his sin completely as far as the east is from the west. And, and before that time, he had heard the gospel message, but it was just words to him. But in that moment, something happened in that Bible study. What happened was the Holy Spirit convicted him. The Holy Spirit got into his heart and convicted him of his sin and showing him that he was lost. And then he heard the gospel in a brand new way, proclaiming that Jesus had died for his sin and that he was truly forgiven for all of his sin that he was feeling so weighed down by. He heard the gospel with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. And guess what happened? It transformed him. It gave him this joy that now when I talk to him, there is just this overflowing thankfulness and joy in what God has done for him that I knew him before that moment, I knew him after. And, and you know, God was, I think, was at work even in this previous time too, but there's a transformation that happened in his life. This leads to the second characteristic of the church in Thessalonica that we see in this passage, which is that the gospel produced fruit in their lives. Um, throughout these opening verses, Paul talks about the fruit that was being produced in the lives of the Thessalonians. Um, in verse 3, he says, 
we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this verse, Paul is highlighting two kinds of fruit that, he, that were shown in the Thessalonians' life, lives. Um, first, he says that they had these virtues of faith, love, and hope, um, which is, he's talking about inner qualities of their character, that this was being produced in them, faith, hope, love. And then these three virtues then produced work, labor, and endurance, these external visible expressions of that internal character. Work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope. Uh, you might recognize this triad, faith, hope, and love, from um, a very famous passage, 1 Corinthians 13, the, the, the kind of love chapter that's often read at weddings in particular. And Paul talks about these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Um, and here in 1 Thessalonians, he refers to these same three, but he, he switches the order up a little bit, faith, love, and hope. Um, but it's the same three words, and, and actually these three virtues, they appear throughout the New Testament um, in many different passages where, where these, this ideal of Christian character is described. It's often described with these three words, faith, hope, and love. And so what happens is when a person receives the gospel of Jesus— when, when, you, when you really get it, right, when it, and it locks into your heart, this is for me, something happens. The Holy Spirit begins to produce faith, hope, and love in your life, um, in, in, in that person's life. But then Paul points out that these inner characters, you know, these inner qualities of character, then produce these external, visible expressions. Um, faith, faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. Faith produces work, right? And so Paul says, you have this work that has been produced by your faith. Um, love, it's not just a feeling. It's not just an attitude, you know, oh, I love this person or I love God. But love labors. Love, love produces this labor for others. Um, it's expressed in tangible actions. Love for God, love for our neighbor. Hope is not just a feeling of optimism, kind of just, I hope everything turns out okay. But hope is a confidence in God's promises. And it produces something too. It produces endurance, a drive to press through whatever it may be with tangible actions because of God's promised future that's set out before us. Today's Father's Day. And, um, and as I was, I was preparing this message and thinking about um, this, this, this whole idea of, of the fruit that the gospel produces, I couldn't help but think about my own father as I reflected on this, this idea of, of the gospel producing fruit in our lives. I grew up as a PK, a pastor's kid, uh, just like my kids are now growing up. Uh, my dad was, was a pastor. And, and as a kid, I, I saw many examples of faith, love, and hope in my dad's life, which were expressed in Work, labor, and endurance, expressed in very tangible ways. I saw that, you know, directed towards God, directed towards people in the congregations that he served, uh, directed towards my mom and us kids, and toward other individuals who came, uh, he came into contact with. But my dad wasn't perfect either. Um, he didn't perfectly love God. He didn't perfectly love people. He's a sinner just like I am. 
just like every one of us are here in this room. And there were times as a kid when you're kind of, you know, you, you see the pastor on a Sunday morning. My kids, I'm sure, see this in my own life, see the ways that, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I fail sometimes, right? I fail to love them perfectly. And there were moments where I saw that in my dad. But there was a significant experience that my dad had um, when I was no longer living at home. It was after I had already gone off to college and I was kind of living on my own. And my dad went to this teaching and training event where he caught this fresh vision of the gospel in his life. And the truths of the gospel just sunk deep into his heart in a new way. And it had this profound impact on him. It wasn't as if he, had, he didn't know the gospel or wasn't saved before that, but, but there was something about this weekend that, that the gospel just became even more real to him in a deep kind of way. And my siblings and I, will, will, and we've talked about this with my dad, that we noticed there was sort of this shift that happened in him after that moment, that, that all of a sudden we saw this, this fruit being expressed in his life in a new way. There was, there was the kind of this deeper, more profound faith that he had. And there was a, a gracious and patient love that, that, that just kind of flowed out of him and a more confident hope. And we saw what Paul's talking about here, works and labor and endurance flowing out of this heart change that God was working within him. Now, my dad, he is still a sinner who is on the road just like all the rest of us, right? We never arrive spiritually in this life. We are always works in progress. Um, God is always working to transform us. And God's still doing that work in my dad's life, just like he's doing it in my life, and just like he's doing it in the life of every believer in Christ. If that's you here today, he's doing that work in you. And God, though, he uses the gospel to produce this fruit in us. It's his work. It's not our work. It's not that we produce this fruit in us, but God is the one who's doing it in us. Um, and he, used, he did that. He was doing that in the lives of the Thessalonians. He wants to do it in, in our lives, too. And this work of God that he begins to do in our life leads to the last characteristic of the Thessalonian church, which made them a model church, which is that they shared the gospel with others. Um, so they were filled, the, the gospel gave them this joy. It began producing this fruit in their lives, and then they shared the gospel with others. In verses 7 through 8, Paul says, You became a model. To all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Paul says that, that when this gospel took root in the life of the Thessalonians, that they were filled with such joy in the gospel, the gospel was producing such good fruit in their lives, they couldn't keep it to themselves. They, they just couldn't. They had to share it with people around them. They had to go out and proclaim this message to others. Um, they wanted everyone to experience the same thing. And so they shared the gospel. And Paul highlights two elements of what this means. First, he says, it involves how you live. Um, he, he mentions again that the Thessalonians became a model for others. Um, for, your, for your life to be a model to other people you need to be living your life in a public kind of way, right? In order for it to be a model, it means that you have to be living your life with people where they can see you, see the way that you're living. Um, and so where they can see the way the gospel is impacting you. He says this is a part of your witness, is the way that you live as a model to others. But then the second aspect of sharing the gospel is with our words. 
And Paul says the Lord's message rang out from the Thessalonians. Um, they verbally shared the gospel um, with boldness, excitement. The, 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 the verb there is kind of this word that's used sometimes for a thunderclap or for a trumpet blast, uh, for a, this, this ringing out just on high volume to everybody who can hear it. The reality is you need both of those things to share the gospel. You, you, if you just rely on how you live and you never speak about Jesus, people are going to just assume you're a really great moral person, but they're never going to connect that to the fact that Jesus has transformed you. He's the one that's working in you. Um, but if you just talk about the gospel without showing the impact in your own life, that message is going to seem kind of hollow. You're just, you're just giving words. Um, other people who maybe know you more deeply and realize there's not a transformation, they're, they're going to feel like, man, this is, you're being hypocritical. You're talking about this message and there's no, there's no real fruit happening. So putting the two together, speaking the message while also living in response to it, when we start doing that, that is a powerful witness. That is a, a model for, for others. Last weekend, um, some of you know that I was um, away last weekend at the biennial convention of our denomination um, in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. And on the first day of the convention, uh, they had these workshops of, of equipping people uh, for, for ministry. And, and, uh, and so one of the workshops that I went to that day was focused on the topic of disciple making. Um, and they talked about how the primary call of Jesus to his disciples, the last words he gave to them before he ascended into heaven was a call to go and make disciples of other people. And, and so part of that, though, in making a disciple is that those new disciples were then to go and make other disciples, that, that it was meant to be this, this chain reaction, right? As you're making a disciple, part of what you're teaching that disciple is there to go make another disciple, and that person is then going to make a disciple. And one of the things that these presenters talked about is that often what happens when someone becomes a believer in Jesus is that we connect that person to a church where they can start learning and growing, which is a good thing. But if that church is not actively encouraging that new believer to start sharing the gospel with his or her friends, to start making disciples immediately, right, to start building on those relationships, start talking about what God's doing in their lives, they can get sucked into what, what these presenters called where our focus is building a church rather than making disciples, where it's a very internal, inward-focused thing. We're, we're building this, this thing here rather than making new disciples through those existing relationships with people outside the church. And sometimes this happens where a new, new believer, they get, they get sucked into just getting filled up with all these stuff happening in church, and they start getting disconnected with the relationships that they've had, and they're, they're missing the opportunity to, to reach out to, to make disciples. Many of you know that, that this past, uh, last year, we had a focus as a church on prayer, disciple-making, and evangelism. We talked about that, preached about it, uh, focused on that uh, in, back in 2017. And this year, uh, one of our, our focuses this year is, is intentionally showing the love of Jesus to people in our lives and, and, and being intentional about our relationships with making new relationships, existing relationships. Think about how can we intentionally show Jesus' love with the hope that we'll be able to then speak about Jesus with them when the opportunity comes. We have been talking 
a lot about sharing the gospel, making disciples. And I have been encouraged by hearing different stories of ways that God is starting to do that in our midst, of, of ways that he's growing us in, in these ways uh, more and more in our individual lives. But this is an area that we need to keep growing in as a church, keep growing in as a congregation. Um, and it's an area that God is continually stretching me as well. Some of the things that, what, as God's been doing this shift in me, um, here are some of the questions that I am kind of constantly asking myself. Who are the people in my life who don't believe in Jesus? Am I in relationships with people who don't believe in Jesus regularly? Am I getting to know them um, in such a way that I can actually see how the gospel could actually be good news for them? Am I understanding what's going on in their life? Am I getting to know them deeply? Am I listening to them so that I can hear how the gospel is going to impact them? Am I living life with them so that they're going to see the fruit of the gospel in my life? Am I spending enough time where they're going to see the love and joy and and faith that God's producing in my life and, and, and where that's going to impact them? Am I ready to speak the gospel with them if the time comes, if, if they ask me about my faith, or if there seems to be an opening to share about my faith in a natural kind of way. These are the kind of questions that I want us as a church to be thinking about and talking about with each other and, and, and processing together. How can we do this more and more in our lives, individually, in our life as a church? Um, there's going to be a great opportunity to do this every week as a body on Thursdays. Every Thursday night over in the church courtyard, guess what? There's going to be a ton of people who are not believers in Jesus. Um, and some of them, there might be a language barrier for some of you, right, to, uh, interacting with. But there's going to be people there. There's going to be kids there where there maybe not, might not be as much of a language barrier who are going to stick around on, at 7 o'clock on Thursdays. And there's an opportunity there that we can be Christ's witnesses, um, to be listening to people, to be thinking about how we can love these kids, that our neighbors, in intentional ways. And one of those ways is giving them food. YouthWorks is going to help us with that by intentionally loving our, our, our neighbors. Um, but then looking for opportunities to build on that in conversation, um, to share the gospel. Now, maybe as I've been sharing these three ways that the Thessalonian church provides us with a model, receiving the gospel with joy, showing the fruit of the gospel in our lives, sharing the gospel with others. Maybe you've been feeling kind of discouraged as you realize, man, I fall short of this model. And maybe you think about our church, and man, we, we fall short of this ideal. We're not doing this perfectly. If that's you, I have some good news for you today. The message that I've been talking about throughout this sermon, the message I've been kind of referring to as the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, guess what that message says? It says that Jesus has paid for your failures, that he has paid for your imperfection in living this out. Jesus lived out all of these things, the things we've been talking about today, perfectly. And when you trust in him, you are credited with his perfection. God looks at you through the lens of Christ. You are clothed with Christ's righteousness. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your failure. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. And he calls you his beloved son, his beloved daughter, 
He forgives all your sin. And so you don't have to do any of what we've been talking about today to gain God's approval or to show yourself worthy of his love. These things, God approves of you because you are united to his perfect son. That's why he approves of you, not because you're doing any of this thing. He loves you unconditionally, period. Now, doesn't that fill you with joy? Doesn't that fill you with joy that our God looks at you and he's chosen you and he's working in you and he loves you and he's rescued you? Doesn't that fill you with faith, hope, and love? Doesn't that make you want to serve this God and love others like that? Don't you want to share this good news with other people in your life, people who also really need to know that there's a God who loves them unconditionally? There's a God who has rescued them. The reason that the, that the Thessalonians were a model church is because of the gospel, because they were given God's grace, which did this work in their lives. And the only way that we are going to live this way is because of the gospel, because God gives us his undeserved, unconditional love and favor, which has no conditions, no strings attached. So, brothers and sisters, receive this good news. It is for you. It's for you today. Believe it. Rejoice in it. Live your lives in response to it and share it with others. Let's do that together as God works his good news in our, in our hearts. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this amazingly good news that you are a God of grace, that you are a God who loves us unconditionally, that you are a God who has done everything for our salvation. You've accomplished it on our behalf through Jesus' death and resurrection. We thank you, God, that, that even we, when we look at ourselves and we recognize our, our brokenness and our failure to live up to the standard, God, that you look at us and you say, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. In, in you I am well pleased because I am pleased with my son, Jesus, and you, and you are united to him. God, help us to live in that reality, to embrace that. That is the truth of who we are in Christ. And Lord, as we receive it, Lord, let your Holy Spirit fill us to produce this fruit in us, to fill us with joy and hope and faith and love that would spill out into our lives to the people around us the people who desperately need to know that you are their savior too, that you've come for them, that they too would receive this good news of forgiveness, of unconditional love, of grace in their lives. Build us as a church, God, to be like the church of the Thessalonians. Um, we know that this is your work. It's not our work, but we thank you that you've filled us with your Holy Spirit to do this work in us. Um, and so do that in us now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.